Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Okay, so a lot of you may not even remember who I am because I have not been up here since like the very first week of the semester, um, even though I'm the boss, which I think is small of people, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm, no, I'm kidding. We just have such talented people that we just all love to share the word. It's really fun to be back up here and open the word with you guys. We are ending the Encounter series tonight, which we've been going on for quite a while. And honestly, I have loved what we have been doing. I'm really excited to be able to come up and do the last one. Um, we have just had some great pictures. And as John said, we have been, we've been spending time reading in the Word about how Jesus has, has encountered, maybe it's the other way around really, that, of how different people encountered Jesus, different lives, different settings, different needs, and what is Jesus like is really kind of the question we've been asking. And you'll notice we started the year with this because everything starts with that. And we're just convinced that for everything to make sense, we need to meet God. Who is he? What does he have to do with us? What does he say to us? How do we encounter him? And that's what we have been doing. Well, tonight we're on the last one. And tonight the encounter is a little bit different in that most of the encounters that we have been doing have been people who are encountering Jesus for the first time. And they're often people that, that had not seen him before. And, and he, it's, it's, a, it's a, a revelation to them. Tonight's encounter is a little different. And that the encounter tonight is by a person who knew Jesus quite well and was with him all the time. And we're going to read a story that happens near the end, actually the very, very end of the Gospels, which is after the resurrection of Jesus, after he had come back from the dead which is what we celebrate on Easter, is the resurrection that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but came back from the dead, proving that he was God, declaring that he was more than a mere man, miraculous and powerful, showing that he is who he is. How did people encounter him then? Well, we're going to find out. So let me pray for us and we'll dive into it. Lord, we do want to see you tonight. We do want to encounter you. And my prayer is that just as the people in this story encountered you, in some way we would encounter you again tonight as well, that your word would speak, that you would show yourself clearly to us. Use my feeble words to do that, and Lord, where my feeble words are not enough, excel them, go beyond them, supersede them, speak directly to our hearts through your words. Holy Spirit, that's our prayer tonight. Teach us. Amen. Here it is on the screen. We're in John chapter 21. After this which would be after the resurrection and after the things that happened then. It says, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. See, John's being a storyteller. Here's how it happens, he says. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other of his disciples were together. So a small group of disciples are together. And Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. You have to understand, most of the disciples were fishermen, and after this, they didn't really know what to do at this point, and said, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, and they got in the boat. But that whole night, 
they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Okay, I love that. That John, in the middle of the story, he tells you exactly how many fish, 153, which is one of the things that helps us to know this is real. Like, this is not just some made-up legend. You don't put details like that in a legend, right? It's, it's a written account. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now this is only half the story, but this is the introduction. This is the setting that we're going to get. And in this setting, we can just kind of see, here's, here's the scene. They're on the water, on the beach, the fire is going, they've come in, you get the story of the catch. But there's just something in this introduction to the story. We're going to pause, I just want you to catch. A very strange thing, a... a an unexpected thing happened in that introduction. Did you catch it? John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Unlike everybody else in the boat, Peter does something different. He leaps into the water and he swims ashore. It says they actually put his garment on and leaped, in the, which is a cultural difference, right? Normally, you know, we're at the lake, you like guy pulls the t-shirt off and dives into the water. He did it the opposite way, he put his garment on leaps into the water, swims to shore. Why? We'll find out. Let's keep going. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus and Peter have a conversation. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter 
turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. A lot of you have probably heard this story before, right? A lot of you have come from a background where you probably have, have heard a lot of the story, and the story that is kind of the background to this. But this is a really important encounter, an encounter where Peter encounters Jesus in a new way. And in some ways for the first time, even though Peter had been with Jesus for over three years and had followed him as his disciple. Here we have a story about a disciple of Jesus encountering him. What does it have to say to us? What does it have to teach us? Well, we kind of have to understand what's going on here. And to do that, we're going to look at this second part of the story. So if we could go back to verse 15 and kind of follow along. You can see it. This strange conversation happens. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that's a literal translation of the original language. It just says, do you love me more than these? And it doesn't really specify what these are. And so some people will debate, what does Jesus mean, these? What is the antecedent to this pronoun? And some people will say, well, it's the fish. Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more? than what you went back to, as if Peter had renounced following Jesus or something. This is probably not what it refers to, but you can understand how people would think that. But there's actually a better explanation, and it's this. The these that Jesus was saying was probably pointing to the other disciples. Now, how would we surmise that? We would surmise that because of the conversation that follows. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times if he loved him. I think a lot of you know. Earlier in the Gospels, right before Jesus was crucified, there was also a time when Peter had a chance to speak out his love for Jesus. And it was when Jesus was being arrested. And Peter was very afraid. And before that night happened, Peter had made a boast. Do we have that on the slide or did I forget to put that in there? But Peter had made a boast, and it's recorded in a couple of the other Gospels, that Peter said... There it is. To Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter always being somewhat impetuous. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And I think a lot of you know the story. He did deny him three times. He was afraid. He thought he might be arrested too. And in the spur of the moment, just like we all do, panic got the best of him. And he denied Jesus three times, even after he had made this boast. And what was the boast? Even though they may fall away, I won't. Well, now we're back post-resurrection. And Jesus looks at Peter and the other disciples and says, Peter, do you love me more than them? Wow. And then Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And those three times, as you probably know, those three times are to match the three times that Peter denied him. Now, uh, some of you, if you came from a church background, you may have heard this spoken about before. There are different words for the word love that are used in this conversation. There's, there's different Greek words for the word love. And Jesus, when he asks the question, he will say, Peter, do you agape me? Which is kind of this high love based on respect and 
Um, a lot of people say it's like the love of, of God to man. Um, that's a little overstated. It was also used very frequently in writing to describe love between people, but it's a very high sense of love. But when Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you, he would say, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you, which is a different Greek word that also means love. It's love of friendship. Hence, we get the, the word Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. comes from the word phileo. And Jesus would say, do you agape me the second time? And Peter said, phileo. And then Jesus said, do you love me the third time? But Jesus said, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Are we supposed to read something into that? Some people would say yes. Some people would say the differences between those words might be a little overblown in that some people would say, oh, Jesus is calling Peter to respond with this high love and Peter can't. And so he responds with a lesser love. And finally, Jesus comes down to that level and says, do you love me? I don't know if that's really true. And we actually don't have any way of knowing if that's really true because of the way the words were used in the culture was pretty fluid. And it could even be that that the opposite of the first story was happening and is as Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter, Peter humbly is responding, I phileo you, and that he's, he's not claiming that boast anymore. It could be that. We just don't really know. But there's one thing we know for sure that is happening in this conversation. Peter is being restored. And that is an amazing thing to see. Imagine you're Peter. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. In, in, the, in the crisis, in the middle of the heat, when things were the toughest, you denied the Lord three times. You had followed him for three years. You had professed your love for him. You had professed your bravery. You had professed you'd never fall away. And then when push came to shove, you did. And then you watched Jesus die. And you just don't know what's going to happen. And imagine that Jesus dies and that's the last thing you did. How would you feel if you are Peter? What is the one thing that you would long for more than anything else? It would be if I could just make that right. But Jesus is gone. But of course we know Jesus resurrects from the dead and he comes back and new life happens. And he declares himself as God through the resurrection. And you're Peter, and you're out on the boat. And all you really want is what? You want to be restored with Jesus. And so when Jesus appears on the shore, and you haven't had a chance to have this conversation with him, what do you do? You leap into the water, (laughs) and you swim as hard as you can just to get to him. Because that's what you're longing for more than anything else. And do you see the tenderness of Jesus He asked him three times, do you love me? And it says in the end, Peter was grieved. He was sad. This was a hard experience for Peter because this is something called repentance. When we own the sins we've committed and own the things that we have done that have hurt our relationship with God. And he's sad, but look how tender Jesus is with him as he repents. He restores him to himself And if you're Peter, you're experiencing and encountering Jesus now again. And not just as a rabbi, a teacher. You're not just encountering him as a leader. You're not just encountering him as a potential someone who's going to overthrow the Romans. You're encountering him as a savior, as a restorer. And that's what Peter sees.
Peter encounters Jesus again as a Savior. And then something interesting happens. The encounter's not over. Suddenly, after Peter is restored, Jesus then gives him a future. And he puts on him a calling. Now this is interesting. And this is maybe what we would not expect in this passage. But as Peter is restored, you'll notice in all three questions, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. It's really the same phrase every time, but it's this idea of Peter, shepherd my church, shepherd my followers. He gives him a calling and he says, for this I have raised you up. You are restored and you are commissioned. I am sending you to love me this way. Peter now has a calling. Now this is a stunning development that I don't think anybody really expected. But Peter, as he goes through this, comes face to face with a fact about life that we have to stop and think about very deeply. Uh, I thought a long time about how do I explain this and how do we, how do we really talk about this? And here's, here's the illustration I'm going to use to do it. I... Um, a number of years ago, um, just by a matter of chance, I, you know, I just got a side hobby that lasted me for a couple of years. I got really interested in World War II. Um, and I, for some reason, I think a friend of mine had a book or a game or something, and it just kind of got me intrigued. And so I started reading books on World War II, started watching some documentaries and things. And it was, I just couldn't get enough of it for a couple of years. I just kind of studied the histories and if you go to my house, you'll see this totally geeky three-volume set of the West Point Battles of World War II Strategy Analysis or something. I pretend that I read it. I really didn't. Um, but for a while, I got into this. And here's one thing that stuck with me. As you read about the war, which most of that generation that fought in the war will not talk about. Maybe some of you had parents or grandparents. I guess that would be grandparents who fought in the war. And if you ever had a chance... To ask them about it, you probably never got much. They just, that generation never really talked about it, probably because it was so horrible. But occasionally, those who had stories recorded in documentaries and books and such, I began to see the same story coming up multiple times, and it was this story a story of a soldier who would talk very, very lovingly about a certain buddy of his who, who took a bullet for him, literally. The man who shared the foxhole with him. The man who took a bullet instead of him. The man who a grenade came in and he, he threw himself on the grenade and was killed instead of this soldier. And the stories would always be this. That soldier would come back for World War II and after he came home, he would do something interesting. He would go find the widow of that soldier. He would go find that soldier's family. And, uh, and he would meet them and he would, he would begin to provide for them. He would like work a second job sometimes to make sure that they... They had means. He would try to put their kids through college. There was this idea that, that my buddy died in my place. I really shouldn't be alive right now. And because of that, this life I live now, it doesn't seem like it's really mine. It's actually his. And you see these soldiers just kind of in some way trying to replace the life that was given for them because they knew they shouldn't really be alive. Someone had traded their life for his. That's an amazing thought. That's the gospel. 
When we talk about the gospel of Jesus, what we talk about is how Jesus has given his life for us. We were sinners, separated from God. We deserve death. And yet Jesus, by dying on the cross, substitutes for us. And this is exactly how the New Testament describes it. Look at these passages in Colossians and Galatians. Here's, or, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now this passage happens to come in a section that talks about how we live, how we use our physical body. Largely this passage is about sexual immorality. And he's saying, look, you are not your own. You can't just do anything. You are bought with a price, the price of the cross. Your life is not yours anymore. It's that idea. Jesus gave himself for you. Your life is now different. Here's a passage from Galatians. Here's what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved, him, loved me and gave himself for me. That's exactly that World War II story. It's this idea that I no longer live. It's Christ's life that I have right now. He's the one who gave himself for me. And this life that I have right now, I live for him. It's not mine. That's the gospel. We deserved death for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We were under a death penalty. And the corruption and the dead spirit, um, being dead, being objects of wrath, deserving, continuing eternal destruction, this was our lot. And Jesus does that for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. That's the idea. He dies in our place. Our life is not our own anymore. And this is basically what Jesus says to Peter. Because in this encounter, Jesus then says this very strange thing where he says, Peter, when you were young, you would go wherever you wanted to go and you would dress yourself and you would do what you wanted to do. But when you're old, in the future, the time is coming when you will not have that option. You will stretch out your hands. And I get the idea of stretching out your hands with manacles on them, handcuffs and chains, a prisoner. And someone else will dress you. And they will take you where you do not want to go. And then it says in the text, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. In other words, Jesus is giving Peter a hard glimpse of the future and saying, this is, this is my plan for you. This is how you're going to glorify me. Wow. Now for Peter, this calling to be a shepherd, to lead the church, to shepherd Jesus' follower also involved a very hard ending it involved a martyrdom some believers suffer that for the glory of God in this broken world that persecutes and opposes the Lord martyrdom is the end of some and Jesus tells Peter this is going to be the case now imagine again that you are Peter how do you feel when you hear this how do you swallow this you have been restored. You know that Jesus has done this for you. You denied him and yet you are restored. You do not deserve to be here. You do not deserve to be with Jesus. And now he has commissioned you. But this, Jesus is saying, do you see? Your life is not your own. Follow me. 
That's calling. Calling. You know, we all have that. We all have this calling. Peter reacts to it about the same way that we might. Did you, did you get that part of the story? Peter gets this, and he turns and he sees John. Now, in this passage, this is, says the disciple whom Jesus loved. That sounds arrogant, right? Well, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I'm John. No, that, actually, it's the opposite. In the style of writing at the time, by not naming himself, he was actually being humble. He was actually trying to be anonymous. And so he came up with this, uh, this uh, I don't what's the word? Pseudo, pseudo, pseudonym, pseudo whatever, of the, the one Jesus loved. In other words, nothing about me. It's that Jesus chose to love me. It's, it's a humble way of John saying, it's me. And Peter sees John. And you can imagine, Peter looks at John and says, and this is really kind of what he says. He says, but Lord, what about him? You have just been given a calling by Jesus. And he says, this is how you're going to glorify me. And it's going to be hard. But you're going to give your life in a way that glorifies God. And then Peter immediately says, well, what about him? Is that fair? I mean, I, I get the sense that's kind of what Peter was asking as he wrestles with this. And Jesus says, a very hard thing back to him. He says, what about him? What if I want him to remain until I return for a second coming? What if he stays till the end of time? What about that? That's no concern of yours. That's not your business. You follow me. As I call you to follow, you follow. Every Christian stands before Jesus in this way. Because our lives are not our own. I'll tell you a little of my story. Not too much. But you know, I, I remember the first time I ever encountered this passage was also when I was in college. And I remember reading this and really hearing it for the first time. And just how, how, uh, how kind of stark this was for Peter. But just also how forthright Jesus was about what he demanded of Peter. And I also realized if Jesus is really my Savior, he really must be my Lord in this same way. Now that applies differently to everybody. But as I sat before the Lord and said, Lord, what's your calling? You know, for me, that's taken me a lot of different places. You know, I, look at me, I have been a missionary now for almost 35 years. I've, I've spent half that time in the U.S. I've spent half that time overseas. Uh, there are a lot of times I didn't like this calling. Um, I know that when you hear a passage like this, it almost sounds like, oh, well, if we're true Christians and Jesus is Lord, that means we have to go be pastors or missionaries or something, right? We have to go into ministry. And the answer to that is no, that's not what it, that's not what it says. I don't believe that's true. The body has many parts. There's lots of different things that we're supposed to be doing. And so not everybody is called to that. Some are. I was. I know, I know some of you are. I know some of you because I've talked to some of you and I sense that you are. And And... And not everybody is called to that, although, okay, now I'm going to start rambling on a little aside on my little soapbox. I will say, in 34 years of doing campus ministry, one of the things I have become convinced of is that the Lord calls many more people into vocational ministry than say yes. And that makes me very sad. But let's talk about that later. The Lord calls us, and for me, part of that calling for me was to be a missionary. And it has remained that calling in my life for a long, long time. It has cost me a great deal. 
Um, I've spent many a day breathing, living in 10 million person megacities and breathing indescribable pollution with coal dust floating through the air. I have had to learn a new language. Um, I've lived away from my family. I've missed a lot of baseball and football games. You laugh. That was hard. <laughs> um, there's been lots of sacrifices. And of course, along the way too, I have to admit, it has been an amazing adventure. I would not trade this life for anybody. I have I've been to Patala Palace in Lhasa, Tibet. I've been to Mount Everest. I've vacationed on sunny beaches in the South Pacific. I've swum in the Mediterranean. Uh, I've walked the Great Wall of China and the Eiffel Tower. And I've just, it's been an amazing adventure the Lord's led me on. I'm, I'm not getting rich, but the travel is terrific. <laughs> but all of it, for me, was conditioned on this. You follow me. This is the calling that Jesus lays on us. And it's so hard sometimes because, because we're like Peter. And we would say, Lord, I want to follow you. You're my Lord. But what about her? Why does she get to be married and I don't? What about him? Why does he get to live in a big house and make six figures and I don't? Why, does, why do I have to go overseas and he doesn't? There's this, this comparison. And Jesus says to us, what is that to you? You follow me. On and on. This is the calling that, that we have, that Jesus gives us. This is how we encounter Jesus. And this is our last encounter with him. How do we see him in the end? Here, the Lord says, I am your Savior and I am your Lord. Will you follow me? It may change your career like it did me. I have an electrical engineering degree. God and I talk a lot about why did you have me take so much calculus if I was going to end up doing this. We're still having that conversation. I'm not over it. <laughs> might do that for you, might not. But it will definitely change your life in some way as we follow him because we will be swimming upstream in the current of the world. I love this passage. Let's talk about applications and wrap it up. I know there's always different groups of rooms in the room as we, we speak about things. There's always different people in different places, and I think that's fantastic. We're not all in the same place on the spiritual journey, y'all. That's fine. There are some of you in the room tonight that you might, you might be hearing this idea of Jesus dying in your place for the very first time, and you're understanding. Do you want to get that? You can. If you, no, I'm kidding. Um, you might be... You might for the first time be seeing this idea that Jesus has done this for you. That he has laid down his life so that we who were dead can be alive again. And this life that we have now is better than anything we could have dreamed. The psalmist says, your love, O Lord, is better than life. I mean, it's just to experience God, to know meaning and purpose in life, to walk closely with him is ravishing it's amazing this is what we were made for that void that we keep throwing things down to try to fill it this is what fills it it's god-shaped right this is what jesus invites us to and this may be the first time you've ever really heard that this is the answer to that void in your life that you know you've been missing or maybe you're like peter and you are sitting there and you're thinking i have blown it you don't know the choices I've made. I have blown it. And you're, 
you're thinking, I have messed up my life. Is there any hope for me? Or maybe you're a person who also grew up in a Christian environment. And you got to college. And you, you made some choices that now you regret. And you kind of walked away from it all. And now maybe you're back. I don't know, maybe you're trying out ministries or a friend brought you or something like that. And you're thinking to myself, you're thinking to yourself, is there a way back? Is it too late for me? Like Daniel talked about last week, is it too late for me? Well, guess what? Here's the good news. Peter's story would say, it's not too late for you. There is a way back. It doesn't matter if you've blown it. We can all be restored That's the gospel. Isn't that amazing? This last vision we get of Jesus is even if you think you were the one who was going to be the best follower ever and then you blew it and fell away, can you still come back? Yes. Yes, you can. That is the gospel. What a fabulous picture. And if you have never known Jesus and you're thinking, does this mean me too? Does this include me? Obviously it does. Jesus' arms are wide open, right? You know, there may be another group of us here too. Um, Maybe encountering Jesus for you is more like the second half of the story. Maybe tonight is a moment of reckoning for you here at the end of the encounter series. Because for you, just like for me, just like for all of us, Jesus says, follow me. Are you living like that? Or do you still live like your life is your own? You still live in like, like Jesus died for you, but you get to do whatever you want because you're still you? Or do you realize that this life you have right now is not your own, but you are bought with a price? Are you living that way? Maybe this is a moment of reckoning for you. Have you been that person who you're like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're holding your life like this? And you're saying, I'll follow you, Jesus. Just, I want to get married. I'll follow you as long as you don't take away the dream job I have my sights set on. And, you're, and Jesus is saying, open your hands. And you're just having a hard time. I'm not making fun. We are all here sometime. And Jesus is saying, open your hands. Don't you trust me? I love you. I died for you. I restored you. Follow me. And he wants your hands like this with your life to say, okay, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be who you want me to be. I trust you. (laughs) Follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. Is that you? Is that you? Are you with that group tonight? Some of you have already, have already opened your hands. You've made that commitment to the Lord. I know that. I've talked to you. But see, this is, this is what our encounter series comes down to. Jesus is Savior, a loving, kind Savior. Jesus is Lord. And we've seen that over the past seven weeks, haven't we? Think about all the places we've been. We see Jesus gentle and welcoming as a Savior. The Gentile woman who is an outsider welcomed the suffering leper who Jesus reaches down and touches when no one else would. The shamed woman who comes and cries on his feet. Remember when we did that that week? 
the woman caught, caught in adultery exposed. Remember when Natalie had the spotlight in the middle of the room and that was her, right? The thief on the cross, is it too late for me? And it's not. Jesus is there welcoming those who come humbly in need, seeking love and seeking grace. And yet at the same time, we also saw these encounters that Jesus had no patience with those who thought they knew it all and those who came thinking they had all the answers, the Pharisees. Jesus was very hard with those who would only follow him as a disciple on their own terms, like the rich young ruler. This is the Jesus. We have encountered that Jesus multiple times throughout our series, right? So, the way we would summarize this whole series and the encounter in Jesus is this, and this is how scripture says it. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's our invitation. Will you come to Jesus as the humble one in need, ready for salvation, ready to open your hands, ready to trust him, ready to follow? He's an amazing, amazing person, an amazing God. But that's his message tonight. After all these encounters, it all leads to the question, will you follow? Will you follow? Why don't you bow with me? I did, yeah, I want to, you know what? I just want you to bow. <clears throat> just close your eyes for a bit. I'm going to do something we don't normally do at Crew. If this is your first time here, this is not typical of what we do in um, but I just kind of feel led here at the end of this series tonight to do this. I just, I want us to take a minute or two and do a little business with the Lord. Be, be still, y'all. Don't rush out to finish that homework assignment. Just a few more minutes. Let's do some business with the Lord. You may be that person that we talked about who has never encountered Jesus before or only seeing him for the first time. Jesus died on the cross for us to forgive us of our sins. He took our place, like we said before, giving his life, his life for us so that we may come back to a relationship with God. If you have not had that relationship before and you know it's time that Jesus is calling you and you're saying, I want that, I want to follow, I want to, I want to have that relationship with God and that purpose and meaning in my life, I want to be who I was made for, I would love for you to do some business with the Lord right now. Would you please tell him that silently? Just pray that to him. Just say it to him in your mind. You don't have to speak it out loud. Just tell him that you want to come to him to please forgive you of your sins, that you trust what he did on the cross is that payment that will pay that price, not your own efforts. You know, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. That was one of his promises in the book of John. He is not going to say no to you.
just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just, as a way to speak to yourself, to put a stake in the ground, as it were, and just as a, a quiet declaration that I have made this decision to follow Jesus, if that's you tonight, if you're putting your trust in what he did on the cross and your, your trust in him for the first time, would you just quietly raise your hand? No one's looking. No one's watching. Thank you. What about, what about the rest of us? There are some here tonight, I think, that you are hearing the words, you follow me, maybe more clearly than you ever have before. Maybe you've already been having this conversation with the Lord about something. I don't know about what. But if that's you, if you sense that the Lord is laying his hand on you and saying, follow me, and you're, you're ready to open those hands of yours and say, Lord, here's my life. Do with it what you will. I want you to, to tell him that silently again. I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, be who you want me to be. Here's my life. If you feel that's you, if you're having that conversation with the Lord, maybe for the first time, I want you to quietly just raise your hand. Again, no one's looking. Thank you. Holy ground. Let me pray. Lord, I am... Uh, well, Lord, what a privilege to speak your word tonight. What a privilege to be with these dear ones. Lord Jesus, you are everything we need. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. Lord, you are our provision. Lord, you are everything that is good. You are everything that should be worshipped. You give grace to us who are humble and needy, which is... We are all needy. And yet you oppose the proud because you are righteous, just, and holy. You are lacking in nothing and in no way. And I just I stand in awe of you tonight, Lord. And I also just pray, Lord Jesus, for these dear ones um, who have done business with you tonight in this room. And for those who, well, Lord, for those who have done business with you tonight, I just, Lord, would you, would you wrap your arms around them, your loving embrace of your spirit, that, that you are pleased that you are trustworthy, that your love is abundant, that your grace is enough. Would you tell them that and assure their hearts that you are for their good, that you work all things to the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And Lord, for those who are still struggling, whether to come to you in faith or open their hands and say, I want to follow, Lord, would you, would you deal with them, but deal gently or as firmly as you need to, Lord? Would you work your best in them? Lord, we know you are good, and patient. Lord, I pray that you would, um, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue this work, continue this work even beyond tonight as you see fit. Lord, we, uh, we declare, we give ourselves to you and we say, Lord, you are Savior and you are Lord. Lord, we, we will do our best to follow without boasting like Peter and admitting our weakness. We say, Lord Jesus, lead us, we pray. For you are worthy, and you're the one we worship here tonight.
Amen.